Start your day the right way by taking charge of your physical and mental fitness. It's important to know your numbers. They determine if your blood pressure is high or low, your cholesterol balance, even your blood sugar level, heart rate, and much more. Get tested by visiting your doctor, clinic, or stop by at any health center closest to you. Take control today. This message is from Doctors On Air with Dr. Pamela. This is Doctors On Air with Dr. Pamela. Good morning. Today we're going to be talking about sickle cell disease and how to prevent it. The World Sickle Cell Day was on the 19th of June, but it's never too late to talk about something that's as important as this. Good morning, Dr. Davis. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Good morning. Yes, so we're going to be talking about sickle cell disease and you would assume, really, all Nigerians, being, seeing how common it is in our own environment, know about it. Maybe you can just give a quick intro, just in case there's anybody listening that doesn't know much about sickle cell disease. Can you tell us what is sickle cell disease and how does it manifest? Okay, good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, sickle cell disease is a genetic disorder whereby um, a parent donates a gene and the mother too also donates a, a gene and then they come together. So when we have a, a hemoglobin which carries oxygen, there are different types. So if a mother has an S uh, hemoglobin and the father has an S hemoglobin, they donate each and, and then to form a child. And this child would have what we call um, sickle cell anemia. When this patient has sickle cell anemia, the problem now is the fact that this blood becomes uh, deformed and they can't move through vessels. They block the vessels and prevent oxygen, which is the primary aim of red cells to carry oxygen to, their, to the various sites and they block this oxygen from getting to these areas. And this patient presents with pain. Most of the time they have pain. However, they can also present with um, severe um, anemia where they need to be transfused as frequently as, as possible. So they have varying uh, clinical presentation. They could have leg ulcers, they could have paraphysic, they could have stroke, uh, you know. So, and then you have uh, so many predisposing factors where when they have sickle cell anemia, they can um, dehydration, when there is extreme stress, there is uh, malaria, it could predispose them to you know, various um, um, sickle cell crises that they could present with. Um, sickle cell is an interesting, very interesting, com- it's actually very common here in West Africa. Nigerians have really the largest population of it, but it's seen all over the world. Now, can you just talk about that a bit more? Because, you know, it doesn't seem to us like there's enough research being done to really, um, you know, assess and suss out the condition. Like, for example, now you're talking about triggering factors. These are some of the things that, you know, everyone should know. Could you uh, elaborate on them a bit more? Yeah, there are a lot of research going on with sickle cell anemia, um, However, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa has the um, highest burden of sickle cell anemia and Nigeria is one of the um, top five of 
um, sickle cell uh, burden in sub-Saharan Africa. So um, uh, a lot of awareness needs to be put in place for patients to be able to, to know their genotype. Lagos State is doing presently um, is newborn screening of sickle cell so that patients would be able to know their status as they are born. And then they also a sickle cell um, prenatal clinics where they can, before marriage, the spouses can know their genotype before, you know, getting married and then reducing the incidence of sickle cell anemia in the sub-Saharan Africa and Nigeria, which is topping the list. So it is important that we create awareness about sickle cell, that every child born should be screened for sickle cell um, traits. And subsequently, we can detect special children that have sickle cell anemia, which will eventually, you know, lead to um, sickle cell um, disease burden in sub-Saharan Africa. So it is important premaritally that people getting married should be screened for their genotype and then they can prevent rising incidence of sickle cell disease in our community. Um, it is also important that secondary school children must know their genotype. In that way, awareness will be there before they, you know, get to the age of where they get into a relationship that they would not, uh, you know, marry those that have uh, the sickle cell traits and then increase the burden of sickle cell anemia. So it is important that there should be an increasing social medicine awareness to the general population that they need not, you know, increase the burden of sickle cell disease in our environment. That's good. And that's important because the whole focus this year is on preventing sickle cell disease. But are there any laws or any actual policies by the government to try and do this? Or is it just because I'm, I'm aware that many churches will not marry a couple unless they present their, um, their genotype, the fact that they know their genotype and present their certificates. But is it actually a law or a policy? Or is it just something that churches do? Presently, there is no policy concerning um, preventing patients with sickle cell traits from marrying each other. There is no policy presently. It's just the churches on their own when they start seeing that um, the burden of patients that have children with sickle cell, the marriage um, issues, they, you know, they are being proactive by preventing such marriages from happening thereby preventing those children being born from sickle cell. So there's presently no policy. The church is just being proactive with um, their screening and then their policies, yes. I mean, to be honest, I think it's good, but I mean, it's, it's a bit difficult, I guess, to regulate against this because love is love. You know, if somebody I mean, loves someone else, it's difficult <laughs> to say when, they, when you love someone, you know, most of the time you're ready to go through, you know, thick and thin with them. It's not so easy to say, well, sorry, You've got the wrong genotype. I'm not marrying you anymore. That is why we are advocating for, uh, you know, newborn screening, that every child in secondary school, max, they must know their genotype. We usually don't want them to, you know, fall into a relationship before they now know their genotype. And then, you know, it's usually difficult for once love is established before um, you now tell them that they can't marry. It's usually difficult. So, it's if Lagos sets a policy that every child knows their genotype. So in secondary school, once they are aware, by the time they are getting into the university, getting into a relationship, they're already aware. 
about um, their sickle cell um, genotype so they can make an informed decision in preventing themselves falling in love in the first place and then giving birth to children. So it should be like a social norm. Like, what's your genotype? What's your genotype? It also helps, okay, before we even say, I love you or I'm going to relationship with you, that should be the first thing. We want to create awareness. So this program is also helpful. People would get to be aware that they need to know their genotype and it should be the first thing before they fall in love. So we don't want them to fall in love before they now, you know, find out their genotype. So, but when they know their genotype, it's easier to now choose, okay, I want to go ahead because they are aware of their status and they can prevent the uh, increasing or rising uh, incidence of sickle cell anemia in our environment. Yeah, well, I think so. I think I think that's really a good one. But I think perhaps if the, you know, these are things that perhaps the National Health Insurance Scheme could perhaps look into, the whole issue of knowing the uh, genotype. And I think just for, for clarification's sake, for people who are listening, that's AS. Two ASs, I think, shouldn't marry. Am I correct? While if you're yes, AA, yes. you can marry anybody. Can you just explain that whole who can marry who so that we can, you know, just run that bias again so that we can understand it in simple terms? Okay, in simple terms, um, each uh, individual has two genotypes. So there is A, there is S, there is C, there is um, D, there is Punjab. There are varying different types of genotype. However, the commonest we have is uh, A, S, and C. So we don't want individuals that have an S to marry another individual that have an S. So each child, each individual has two. So yeah, it could either be AA, it could either be AS, it could either be AC, ACC, or AS. So we usually don't want people that have defective hemoglobin marrying each other. So once you have a trait, the chances that the other party that has another trait of the S, once they come together, it becomes two SS. And then they could um, give birth to children that have SS. So usually uh, advice when you have both individuals having an S trait, preventing them from getting married, as well as C also. So that's even AS or an AC should not marry each other. Yes. So AS should not marry yes. AS, AS should not marry AC. AC show my AC so that they just sort of keep clear of each other. But AA can yes, marry yes. anyone. And SS a, a, a should not marry. marry and SS has to be very particular about who they marry. They must they only must marry, marry an, an AA. AA. I think I think that that makes it quite straightforward for those who are listening. Um what if there is anything other than an AA, they should not marry each other. But everybody should be looking for somebody with AA. There are quite many. There are quite many because <laughs> Nigeria has, like I said, Nigeria has the highest burden of sickle cell anemia. So we need to reduce this incident. So, and um, there are a lot of AA in the system. So we need them, I mean, over 40%. So when they marry AA, I mean, it's also reduced incidence. Before, you know, we just have straights and subsequently we can, you know, wipe out um, sickle cell anemia. In, in, in Nigeria. Now, the half is almost over, but it's clear that SS is the worst. Can you talk about SC? Because for a long time, many labs could not pick up the C. I had to go to a very good lab to pick up the C. And some people used to think they were people with um, 
SC that um, or AC, and then they wouldn't know that they actually had sickle cell disease and wonder why well, they it were. Is important. And they were, they were wondering why they had symptoms. But now it is so important, I think, to go to a good lab to make sure you get the diagnosis right and don't get the diagnosis missed. So the, um, it is important to go to good labs because these um, hemoglobin, the way the tests are run, they overlap. So you need a good lab to be able to, you know, um, make a proper diagnosis. So you have patients that have uh, hemoglobin S and C, they might be on the same band. So it is important to get to a good lab to make these diagnoses. And then that's why you find that some people, they will tell you that, oh, when they um, were about to get married, they didn't tell them that they have, you know, these traits. And now they have a children, a child that has um, sickle cell anemia or they have um, hemoglobin C. So it is important that a good lab would be able to separate these um, hemoglobin properly and be able to make adequate diagnosis for an individual. Thank you very much. You're listening to Doctors on Air with Dr. Pamela. Look after your health. Look after your healthcare professionals. They look after you. This message is from the Healthcare Federation of Nigeria. You're listening to Doctors on Air with Dr. Pamela. Thank you, Bukala, for coming on the program. You are from the Sickle Cell Aid Foundation. Can you tell us about the Sickle Cell Aid Foundation and what makes it different from the Sickle Cell Foundation? Yeah, so thank you for having me. The Sickle Cell Aid Foundation was um, formed in 2010 and we started um, just seeking to support people living with sickle cell, especially those that are indigent um, around Abuja. So we started in Abuja um, with a couple of friends of us in law school, and then we've kind of taken it from there. Um, we continue to support people um, living with sickle cell around the country. It's usually socioeconomic support, so things like paying for hospital bills, paying for medication, sometimes supporting them with um, education and things like that. We also do a lot of advocacy, so teaching people with sickle cell how to advocate for themselves, um, how to know what's best for them. Things like nutrition as well have become very important to us. So teaching people living in sickle cell the best foods to eat to kind of enhance recovery or prevent crisis. Um, and then we do a lot of education generally on genotype, similar to what you've been, Dr. Davis has been talking about um, on prevention of sickle cell. You asked for yes. the difference with the Sickle Cell Foundation. So the Sickle Cell Foundation was set up um, through the government institution they do a lot of stuff work um pretty closely with them and we have a good like working relationship okay that's great so can you tell us a bit about the food that people are listening and anyone who hears about food and nutrition to do uh, with something uh, you know as they said yeah. uh, let food be their medicine it's the best thing so can you share with us the kind of food that the sickles and people with sickle cell trait and sickle cell disease should be eating yeah, absolutely. So this kind of started about five, six years ago um, when we realized that a lot of people that we support living with sickle cell, especially for children, are malnourished. And that's just usually because they have frequent crises. When you have crisis, you usually don't have an appetite. And if you're having frequent crises, you're having issues with your stomach, um, there's, they kind of develop challenging relationship with food. 
And then also generally, for people living in big cities, there's kind of movement away from preparing fresh food and eating a lot of fast food, a lot of instant noodles, you know, things that are very quick. But a lot of those things have really high salt and are probably not the best for you if you're kind of going through hemolysis and having constant crisis. Um, so I wrote a cookbook and we've used that as a way to teach um, people living with sickle cell on foods, um, best thing to eat. In terms of foods, the first thing is really hydration. A lot of times people with sickle cell have to drink a lot more water than um you know, no one say a regular person, but someone that doesn't have sickle cell. Um, and oftentimes there's kind of like a, a tiredness of drinking water, but really there's no replacement for water. You can't substitute water with a fizzy drink or with a smoothie. And you really just have to drink water. And then if you want, you know, kind of mix it up and have other things like smoothies, we encourage, you know, you to try and make it fresh um, at home if, if possible so that you kind of know what's going into it you know that there's not too much added sugar and preservatives and things like that so smoothies are always a good way as well to get hydration we always advocate for soups as well especially for people who are just coming out of crisis who maybe your appetite is a little down or you're in hospital yourself different types of soups fish you know beef all all those things because it's giving you the hydration you need and a little bit of nutrients and protein so protein, as you know, is the building block of, of the human body. And so we advocate for like high protein diet. Again, there's kind of a, this association with eating well and um, money. So it's like, oh, I don't have money to eat like super expensive things. Um, but, you know, regular fish in the market doesn't have to be expensive. You can buy, you know, fresh fish, smoked fish. Those are very good quality protein that people can incorporate into um, their diet. So long, it, the, the main thing is water. Drink a lot of no. water, keep hydrated, and try and eat high protein and vegetables. Excellent. Yes. Now, um, can you let us know a bit about, because uh, there's not much time left, what you do in terms of preventing sickle cell disease? How do you, you know, deal with that in your foundation? Yep. Do you go to schools? What, what, how, what way do you do it? Yeah, so we do free genotype tests. Um, we usually do that in on campuses in particular. So we've worked with University of Lagos, Yabatek, University of Abuja, and we carry out free genotype tests and education for people because we think that that population is still at that crux where they haven't oftentimes made the decision or they haven't had children yet. And most of the time people don't know what their genotype is. And so we do this free genotype test as a way to open up the conversations for people um, to kind of know that, okay, if you carry the traits exactly as Dr. Davis has explained, these are the you need to take when you are seeking to have children if you do decide to go ahead with someone who still has the traits as well you know there are preventative things that you can do um but just make sure that you're aware um of whatever it is that you're going that's into. fantastic thank you do you have a number so just in case there are people out there who are listening who want to support you is there a number they can reach you on the best way to reach us is either through our website, which is scaf.org.ng, or our social media, which is scaf at scaf or Sickle Cell Aid Foundation on all social media platforms. We respond a lot. S-C-A-F.org.ng, yes. And through our social media as well. Thank you. Dr. Davis, coming back to you. Now, we've talked about prevention by not getting married. What about prevention from other means? Is there a way that um, people can prevent themselves if they've, they've gotten into the, I don't want to call it an unfortunate position, but they happen to have fallen in love, they happen to have gotten married, the two SASs, 
And usually what happens is the way they find out they actually have a first sickle cell child. They want to prevent themselves from having a second one. What can they do? Yeah, thank you. Um, when they get married, um, it's a game of chance um, because uh, the probability of having an SS child in a single pregnancy is about 50%. So it is important that they could do IVF, which is now the commonest um, ways of preventing um, having children with sickle cell. And then they will have to, do, not just IVF, IVF with pre-genetic testing. They must be able to get the genetics of that embryo before they transfer into it. It used to be um, aminosynthesis when they are 13 weeks pregnant, they check and they find out if the child has a genotype SS determined. But it's no longer um, viable. So I would say they will just wait and pray if they can't afford IVF with pre-genetic testing. It is still not advisable that they get married because they could have children all for SS. If they are lucky, they could have all AA. If they are lucky, they could have all AS. If they are lucky, they could have just one AA and three AS. So it's a game of probability for each pregnancy. So it is still not advisable that they get married. Well, that's tough. Now, what about treatments? Now that the people starting to do revolutionary things, the other day we had Dr. Kazim on the program talking about stem cell, you know, transplants for sickle cell disease. That was some time ago. Is that becoming more common? And we've also had one of our doctors from um, Benin who has also started a program. Has it taken off? How much are those yeah, kinds of processes, processes being done here in Nigeria? Where people go abroad, for example, India, South Africa, uh, you know, US for these processes. Yeah. And so, yes, um, but how about The definitive treatment for a patient that has already you know, been diagnosed with sickle cell anemia without complications is to do a stem cell transplant. Um, Dr. Bazai was the pioneer of uh, sickle cell transplant in Nigeria. He's based in Benin, professor, and then he's doing a stem cell transplant for a patient with sickle cell anemia. But it requires a lot of funds. I mean, a lot of funds. Minimum like five to ten million for you to be able to, you know, do a bone marrow transplant in Nigeria. So you need the government intervention. Um, I'm aware that uh, Lagos University Teaching Hospital is also coming up with the stem cell transplantation. The Sickle Cell Foundation too is really working on, you know, be able to, you know, do stem cell transplant in Nigeria. So there is a lot of money being pumped in by government into research where we can conveniently do this transplant in Nigeria. But presently, Professor Bazwai is, you know, doing a lot of bone marrow transplants. Lucy's also, you know, very soon will start. But for now, a lot of people are going outside the country, Italy, India, South Africa, US, for bone marrow transplant. But the, the definitive diagnosis, I mean, treatment for now, for patients that already have a psychosocial anemia that are required to live a near normal life. Yeah, I think, you know, if these things can be so traumatic. I, I actually didn't get a chance to talk to Bukola about it. But she's gone through it herself. But I know that. You know, sickle cell disease is such a painful condition. I had a, one of my roommates um, had sickle cell, and often they die young, and can be so, 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 so traumatic. So, if there's anything or any way that people can support the foundation for people who have uh, who are living with sickle cell disease, it would be wonderful. And also for those who are looking at setting up those transplant programs here in Nigeria, 
you want to encourage them to do the same. Do you have any last words for our listeners? Um, my last word is to get tested and know your genotype. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much.